0: Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out-of-money conversations. Join me And hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money podcast. Today, I have Brittany D'Amico with me, and she is with Ethos, ESG, and she's going to explain a little bit more about what that is. Brittany and I met at the XY planning conference, and she was leading a yoga session. And so I don't think people initially think about yoga and financial planning conferences walking hand in hand. But when those things came together, I was like, man, this is cool. So Brittany, you have an incredible story. I look forward to hearing more about your money journey and then a little bit more about ethos and what you guys are doing. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Ed. I really appreciate that. And thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. So let's dive into the story. Tell us about how have you come to work for Ethos and what's your what's been your money journey to this point?
1: My money journey. So I started in the financial services industry back in like 2008 in the middle of what was happening in 2008. <laughs> the, the crisis.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. If yeah. you're not aware. <laughs> so that was yeah. that's a lot of a time to start. And then I was interested. I really enjoyed it. But then I'd been in it for probably about five years. And then it came to a point where I was doing a lot of trading and I was buying a lot of oil. And for me personally, that wasn't really in alignment with my value set and what I believed. I didn't want to contribute. And I was going through some personal things. And so I ended up leaving the industry and taking – I always said I was going to go take a beat. And I moved to Southeast Asia. And – Joined the yoga training, and so I did my yoga training in Bali Ubud or Ubud Bali, and it was amazing. And then I lived over there for about four months, just wandering around. I'd sold everything that I had in California, so I was doing okay. the the Eat Pray Love journey, is what everybody referred to. Yes,
0: it as. <laughs> yes, sounds right. Yeah, uh huh, uh huh.
1: And so, and it was magical. And while I was there, i I was really confronted with this intense poverty that was all around, but still these people who had an immense joy. Cambodia struck me the most with people who had so little, but were the kindest humans I had come across. But you saw them really struggling with these different climate issues that was impacting their little villages. So I came back to the States really inspired to want to have a better impact and have a stronger impact for being really more of a climate advocate. Uh So I decided to go back to school. And then ended up going, completing undergrad at that point, moving to Hawaii and getting an undergrad degree in environmental science and chemistry,
0: uh-huh. still working
1: in finance at that point to kind of pay for everything. Yeah. And then I was in a, glo- a global change class and they recommend, or they referred to something called ecological economics. And it struck me. I was like, what is this? This sounds like it's right in my wheelhouse. Um, so, I ended up looking up different master's programs, found one in Edinburgh, Scotland. So, when I moved from Hawaii to Edinburgh, did my master's degree in ecological economics, <laughs> as one does.
0: Yeah, of course, right? <laughs> Hawaii to Scotland, you know, being in Bali. Eh.
1: Oh my gosh, the dichotomy between. Uh, like the aloha spirit of Hawaii, and coming in like King's Cross in London it was
0: terrifying.
1: London scared oh me to g-
0: I bet, I bet, <laughs> stiff upper lip and all the good things.
1: Don't ask yeah. questions. No eye contact. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh. Went
1: in to Edinburgh. Absolutely loved it. Ended up writing my dissertation, all about uh, Sri, which. Is Uh, sustainable, responsible investing, and Uh ESG, which stands for environmental, social, and governance investing, and the ways to approach it that spoke to the human more so than the traditional portfolio theory, which is all about risk and financial performance. I wanted to speak more to the the human component and how we could increase competitiveness so we could put more capital towards things that would eventually help the villages in Cambodia. (laughs) That was the goal.
0: That's the big vision that's driving all of this is remembering the villagers in Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And okay, all right, keep going. I love it.
1: (laughs) So I finished my master's, really tried to stay in the UK. After that, I really, I love the spirit of the UK. It took me a minute when I first landed, but once I was there, I really loved it. Okay. And then I, it didn't work out where I couldn't get a job in the UK. So I came back to California and started talking to some of the advisors that I used to work with back when I had first started in the industry, they were working with a, with a firm who was building out their sustainable investment arm. And so I started with that firm and then that just grew and I worked with an asset manager and helped with their sustainable strategy. And now I work with Ethos, which now sells the data to all of those different parties.
0: Wow. So, you know, I mean, I think most people listening to this podcast uh, there's a combination of financial planners that are probably listening, therapists that are listening and couples that are trying to improve their financial intimacy. And they're thinking, wait, how did I just end up on this podcast episode? <laughs> but there's, there's a lot here, I think, because I also think that a number of the listeners are interested in aligning their values with their investing. And that's really, I think what ethos is is best at is helping people identify how their asset allocation, their investment structure is congruent with their value system, or maybe incongruent, and then shows them the path for increasing congruency. So walk us through that process and that journey a little bit more.
1: Definitely, so what Ethos does is we're primarily, we're an ESG data and analytics provider. And the data at the the base of it is just information, right? And so a lot of these different data providers have the same information. But what Ethos wanted to do with those under, we have like 2 million underlying data points (laughs) that we work with. What Uh we wanted to do was to organize it in a way that spoke to impact. And how are you impacting the global economy? And then also, how do we look at this through individual perspectives? Because a lot of times you'll see, let's say, like an overarching ESG or sustainability score, and it gives you like a number, which feels very arbitrary. I don't know what that means. And maybe in my journey, I have a really close connection to climate and the earth sciences and trying to focus in that realm where other strategies might be focused on gender and progressing in the social side. And Uh so we have data points for all of these things, but we have a way for individuals to take what we call an impact assessment. And it really helps catalog and quantify what their individual value set is. So even if me and you were looking at the same portfolio— well, if we both took an impact assessment, at the end of the analysis of that portfolio, we would have very different ratings because I would be looking at it from my value set and you'd be looking at it from yours. So it's a nice way for people to be able to identify if there is changes that they want to make or, if you know, if they feel good about it, if there's something that they want to substitute or switch and just have a better idea of the impact that they're having on a bigger scale.
0: And I think, you know, right, you referenced a little bit ago the the conventional perspective is about how to maximize your profit and minimize your risk in investing. Is there much trade-off or actually better outcomes by going the ESG route, the SRI route? Like what's what what's the data show there?
1: I'm so excited you asked me that. So, when I was writing my dissertation, this was a global
0: <laughs> Oh, I hit the dissertation question. I love it. I love it.
1: Just so happens.
0: Just so happens. Yeah. <laughs> wink wink. That's also why I brought you on the podcast. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Might have a little bit of an expertise. Yeah. Uh, when I had done my dissertation and I'll I'll water this down. Essentially, there was there was a large group of the global population that were included in these studies who said they were willing to actually sacrifice returns in order to invest along with their values. But in most of the actual performance meta-studies that had been conducted, there wasn't that much of a—you didn't have to do that. It was pretty much on par in terms of performance. Now, that was— in 2017 that I had conducted that analysis. This last year has been a very, very hard year for ESG and sustainable investing. Uh But primarily, because a lot of these funds are going to be fossil fuel free, and oil saw a big spike this last year. Uh They're going to be looking at um, supply chain challenges, and the war in in Ukraine had a big impact on that. So a lot of the funds took a hit, but if you're investing in them because you feel strongly about these value sets, that's where the willingness to sacrifice a return comes from. Like, I don't wanna be invested in something that is primarily based in Russia, so I'm okay with losing an, a return that happened over there.
0: Well, and I guess, right, this, most people I would assume, and that you may have the data that supports this, that are focused on the ESG, SRI investing space are long-term focused. They're not focused on this quarter or this year's return, I mean. I'm sure there are some, but I would guess they have a bigger vision for social change and social impact, and they understand that that actually takes time.
1: Yeah, it, it really does. It's the long game when you invest in sustainability or sustainable practices. But this, it's really the goal because what really inspired me was to increase competitiveness between these large corporations. If we could make this something that one corporation was profiting from, then in my head, would the other Corporations would then have to meet the same level, even if it was out of reluctancy, which unfortunately sometimes it is. But we create this competitiveness that is just making things more equitable, more sustainable, smaller scales, smaller supply chains. Like these are the things that we're working toward. And that does take a very long time to do. So I think a lot of, I don't want to speak for all of them here. I need to be mindful with my language. A lot of investors are usually long term investors. ESG is a long term strategy. You're going to see blurbs. That's just what investing involves is right. some level of volatility.
0: Uh, volatility comes with the nature of investing, especially on the equity side of things, Inbe- investing in stocks. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Hmm. I'll add on to this. So ESG took a little bit of a beating this year. Uh-huh. But what we've heard from a lot of our clients, and we primarily work with wealth managers and asset managers, hedge funds, what we've heard are that The conversations you're going into, a lot of the overall portfolios have been in the red. That's just what the market has been doing. But if you can have these conversations with people and say, okay, yes, your performance has struggled with the current economy and recession, but I can show you these benefits from an impact perspective that you've seen in the last year. So our reporting has different components. We have something called real-world metrics, where we just try and create more of a story type of analytic. So Uh it would say that your portfolio removed X amount of cars from the road or saved so many tuna or something like that. And for a lot of individuals who are not as familiar with the nitty-gritty of investing, it's really nice to be able to walk away from a performance review knowing that your performance might have not been great, but your impact was still really strong. And that's been a really great conversation that people just appreciate because then they still have that value alignment.
0: Yeah, this... Causes me to flashback. Uh, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with the world of microfinance?
1: Enough to be dangerous.
0: Okay, so uh, probably most people are not. So microfinance. I yeah. Let's see. How do I cut to the chase on this? Microfinance is lending to the poor to try to help them alleviate their. So they're classically unbanked and typically women. And one of the ways that we help connect. Lend, so is taking everyday people like you and I, pooling our assets or our money and giving non-interest-bearing loans to, and so there was kind of a, a altruistic piece to this for, for the microfinance lender. But a part of what I learned from that, and really just in hearing you talk, is what's the storied impact of my work, my using my money, right? Where I'm saving this number of tuna per year, or I'm taking this number of cars, or I can't even fully imagine, like the gender impact side of things, like how many more women become uh, CEOs or don't experience domestic violence. I don't know what the, you know, the impacts are, but there's probably a variety of different things in each of those categories. Hmm. This is amazing stuff.
1: <laughs> it really is. I, I can nerd out about this all day. I will, I want to touch on two things that you had just mentioned. One, I'm going to circle back to my dissertation quickly yeah. that I was looking for the three behavioral drivers of why individuals would would invest sustainably, whether that be ESG, SRI, impact. Those are all slightly yeah. different, but just to cover all the bases. Right. Um, and what it had come back saying was that the three behavioral drivers were altruism, autonomy, and then performance. And I just wanted to touch on that altruistic aspect since you just mentioned that. Yeah. And those were the individuals who would say, I am willing to sacrifice an element of return to make sure that I am in investing in alignment and then autonomy came down to people being able to really focus in on these individual components, like what those r- those reporting pieces that you were just mentioning. Mm. So whether that be... I want the ability to specifically focus on helping elevate women in the in the corporate industries. So I wanna mm-hmm. see more women on the board. I wanna see more programs for women getting into the financial services industry.
0: Yeah.
1: Or if it's climate focused and I wanna really see reforestation or I wanna focus underwater and I wanna see the oceans being cleaned of plastic. And there's all these different things but people want that autonomy. And a lot of these strategies provide that.
0: Well, I guess, right, because that's, I mean, Hmm, I want to say this. Such a beautiful part of investing. And hmm, my highly highly sensitive part of me is like worried about all the critics of investing. I don't know why that part showing up but that part showing up. But really when we think about good capital deployment, right, it's about putting it in places that have impact and, and meaning and where we invest our money matters. Because who has capital has influence. Like that's just the reality, right? At least as I understand it, um, but being able to really pool your money with a bunch of other people that want plastic-free oceans—that's pretty cool.
1: It really is, and i <laughs> I have to I had to giggle a little bit when you had just said that because there's a a yogic saying that where the breath goes, energy flows. That's a little rhyme yes. in the yoga industry, and I think of the same thing with capital.
0: Yes. <laughs> so, Yes. There's a deep parallel there, isn't there?
1: <laughs> yes. And I, and I understand what you're saying where there's, there's a huge amount of critics when it comes to ESG, especially now because there's this political polarization that's happening in the States. Right, so there's, right. there's a really, there's big feelings and a lot of intensity around it, which can be challenging mm-hmm. for people to feel safe bringing it up. But right. at the end of the day, the data that we provide is based in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And those are 16 goals that 193 countries agreed were a way to move forward for a prosperous future. I like to think it takes a political lean out of it because you're really just looking at ways to create a better structure so the economy works more efficiently and within the earth as a scale because we only have so much to work with that we need to keep
0: it manageable.
1: Limited resources.
0: Okay, so I'm not super familiar with the UN Sustainable Development Goals, but Mm -hmm. uh, I bet you're at least a little more than I am, if not a whole (laughs) lot more familiar with them. And podcasts are all great for entertainment, for healing, and for knowledge. So can you share with us a little bit more about the UN Sustainable Development Goals and, and what you know about it? How do they develop? Tell us a little bit about your understanding of the UN Sustainable Goals.
1: So I will tell you as much as I, as I possibly can, if I can, or recommend listening, and I, I might have to follow up with this. Um, there's a podcast that actually talks about like the genesis of, they call them the SDGs, and it talks about the whole story behind them, and it's really mm. fascinating. And I don't know the name of, it, name of it off the top of my head, but I will find it and forward it to you if you want to maybe add it
0: would love to add that to the podcast notes. Yes, absolutely. Because I think, you know, this is that, I mean, I can speculate on some of the, the underlying drive behind how they came to this, but you know, it's speculation, right? I imagine there's a large part of empirical research, uh, a lot of consulting with multiple different subject matter experts, Mm -hmm. balancing the tensions of collective and individual needs. Yeah. I mean, just a very dynamic look at things. Yeah,
1: exactly. And as I would mentioned, there's 193 countries who had agreed upon the SDGs. So if you're looking at the cultural diversity of 193 countries, the U.S. signed on. Let's just take a moment of the cultural diversity in just our country alone right. <laughs> trying to agree upon 17 different initiatives. Yeah. And I said there are 17 technical goals. The 17th is collaboration. So a lot of people say that there's really 16 goals. because Right. But I, I did, I cheated a little bit. I pulled up just to give an idea of these big picture goals that the countries agreed upon. The first one is no poverty. The second is zero hunger. The third is good health and well-being. The fourth, quality education. Fifth is gender equality. Six is clean water and sanitation. Seven is affordable and clean energy. Nine, industry innovation and infrastructure. 10 is reduced inequalities, 11 sustainable cities and communities, 12 responsible consumption and production, 13 climate action, 14 life below water. I am personally biased for that one. Uh 15 life on land and 16 peace, justice and strong institutions. So really covering the whole gambit there of life below water, life on land and everything in between.
0: (laughs) I'm almost kind of surprised they didn't include life in space with all that's going on there. But that,
1: <laughs> I think these were derived before that.
0: <laughs> let me not be critical of the UN and their what they're doing, but um, anyhow. But this, I mean, it's really refreshing. I think in one way to also just be reminded that there is this larger movement of looking at how do we inhabit this global place that we live on and sure, we can look around and read the news reports. And we yes, we know there's still many pockets of great suffering. But there, it seems to me a increasing push towards greater collaboration using that 17th goal globally. And like, how do we coordinate our efforts of being human on this planet together? Uh, it's a big existential question. It's not one that's easily solved, but you and I, I think, get to be small parts of that, and I know so many other wonderful professionals that I meet are share those values, and their organizations and the work they do is driven by that. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30 minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now back to the show.
1: I was really inspired and I still am. When I when I was in the industry before I had left to go on my my journey, I worked with really lovely people. And I worked with primarily women, which was really great. Like women brought me into the financial services, kind of kept me under their arm. I'm still great friends with them. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And then as I kind of merged to this side of the industry, being more in the sustainable ESG impact, the work that people are doing is just so exciting. Like the conferences. Because conferences can feel a little bit depleting sometimes, right? You have to be on the whole time. It's a lot of talking.
0: Yeah, but I yeah. always
1: leave those conferences feeling so excited and inspired. And even the stories that are really challenging that you hear, which is why, we do, why we're trying to do some of the work that we're doing, you right. leave with a sense of purpose. And everybody comes from these, like, really eclectic, cool backgrounds of—I talked to a Navy pilot the other day. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Like People you wouldn't necessarily think would be really at the forefront of the industry. And its I love it. I think that the collaboration in the space feels really strong. And I, I am hopeful that that is, and I'm, I'm just speaking purely domestic right now because those are the people that we've primarily been speaking with. But I feel like there is, on a global scale, everybody sees a lot of the challenges and is beginning to work toward it in a more meaningful way.
0: I mean, this is completely anecdotal, right? Um, so it please anybody listening hear that is just seeing the the rollout of more and more electric based vehicles on the mm-hmm. road practically. And then my son and I picked up uh Moe's uh, burritos. I don't know, if it's a national I don't know if it's a national brand, but it's a large burrito brand. Mm-hmm. And you know, you look at the paper sack and it has printed on there hundred percent recycled material. And it's just all of those little markers of the collective impact of many, many thousands of people working to affect positive probably millions of people working to let me not short sell it there's probably millions of people working to <laughs> there's a few <laughs> just a few you know. And, uh yeah it's more than thousands at this point but um the sustainable planet that that we all want to live well we not all of us apparently want to live on a sustainable <laughs> I think planet everybody
1: but everybody wants to do it they just have their different ideals of how to get there and some maybe just don't Maybe there's a few who don't want to, but I think most people like want to live prosperous, right?
0: <laughs> I, You know, I really like your framing on that. And that right ties back to like my very small little slice of the world is like couples oftentimes, right? Their biggest conflict is not that they don't want the same thing, but it's how they want to get the same thing is mm-hmm. their conflict and finding that space of commonality or reconnecting them to the shared vision that, you no, know, we, we both want a great place for our kids to grow up and live, but what you think about how we should get that done and what I think are sometimes at odds. And so that's what we need to be able to work through.
1: Definitely, I couldn't agree more. I think, and that's one of, There's, I have a couple different thoughts that came through there. One, I think being able, especially when it comes to like financial goals, I think a lot of the, cause I was working with financial advisors at the beginning of coming into the industry. So we worked with, yeah. Big chunk of my career was working with actual individuals and not just the financial individuals. Uh Um, And so much of it came down to having conversations like that, of being able to get people to open up. And they used to joke that to be a financial advisor, you needed psychology as a minor (laughs) because Uh
0: you're working with humans
1: and trying to, like, dissect these Uh these different goals from everybody. And so that's something that we've, again, heard from at least the reporting side of what Ethos can do is facilitate those conversations. And a lot of times if people aren't familiar with what you can invest in necessarily, like so if someone just comes off the street and they're not familiar with ESG, they don't know that there's going to be these different funds that could be like a vegan fund or whatever it would. So uh. like, taking like an impact assessment and they're like, oh, I can invest with like peace and justice. What does that mean? And it helps them, again, quantify and catalog a value set that they didn't even know how to articulate walking in because it's not something that they're familiar with. So I think there's different approaches even from the wealth management standpoint, from a reporting.
0: I think something that's really coming up for me that's, I don't want to say this. None of us are born knowing about investing. Like it's not a intuitive, natural, like we don't even like yeah. inherent, right? It's not an inherent knowledge. It's not like, and you know, there are parts of being human that help support, our ability to learn about investing, but you still have to put initiative into it, right? Like pretty much everyone learns to walk and pretty much everyone learns to talk. But like if you want to learn about investing, it's a journey of self-discovery. And no one's gonna force you to learn about investing. Well, um, by and large. <laughs> for Maybe, the most part, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the most part. I mean, like high schools are have some educational requirement, but like outside of that, like nominal. So <laughs> I mean, you really do have to take it upon yourself to learn about investing and build a vocabulary. And I think what really stood out to me, what you're just saying is ESG investing opens up a whole nother set of language and understanding of what it means to be an investor. And this is maybe really kind of from that financial therapy lens. Oh, maybe now I'm getting the pieces together, right? I was telling you I had some anxiety earlier about talking about being an investor because a lot of people have this like, Eel, yuck negative view like investing and exploitation and capitalists and like people just have really negative associations with words around the investment world and so i i wonder about for how many people if they knew that there was an ethical and values aligned way to do investing it would feel so much more palatable and approachable and desirable to get interested in it's like Instead of you know oh well I'm gonna study the S&P 500 index it's like oh, okay w- whatever that means who cares but it's like no I'm gonna learn about how to invest in uh, female equality cool let me see like how does that work like I'm gonna learn how to save the wildlife or the the sea life with my investing cool I can get behind that I can because I think that's really what drives learning right is interest.
1: Oh, absolutely! Like if,
0: if you're not interested in the topic, you could give two shits about it.
1: <laughs> Just daydreaming about whatever,
0: <laughs> right? Like I mean, that's the difference between high school and like college. Is high school you have to take courses, college? I mean, sometimes there's the prereqs, but you're choosing to learn, and that's maybe really what I'm trying to get at. As adults, let's find what's interesting for you about investing and ESG and and SRI can be very interesting. Because you can really live out your values. So let me stop because it looks like you have something else to say that's probably more entertaining than what I'm saying. No,
1: I love it. I'm just over here nodding. I'm like, yes, mm mm-hmm.
0: Right. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, I, I couldn't agree more. It is. And I think speaking as a woman who have had other conversations with other women, Wall Street and finance can be a very intimidating subject. It's, it's like primarily been a man-driven industry. It's very high speed. It's got a lot of technical terms. It's very mathematical. Like, what if I don't understand? They're going to think I don't know what I'm talking about. I won't be taken seriously. I've right. talked to other friends and colleagues who are in the LGBTQ plus community. Uh-huh. Who yeah. felt like they wouldn't be well-received going into certain offices. And so I think that uh. when ESG became a bigger topic, which— it's been around since the like, early, late 60s, early 70s. Sure,
0: sure. It started
1: with trying to stop the apartheid in South Africa. That was uh-huh. where socially responsible investing came oh, from. Oh,
0: interesting. Okay.
1: And then there were some really poor returns because there was a lot of exclusionary investing. Just a little history on the,
0: <laughs> in the space. Yeah, right, so then there right.
1: was kind of a negative perspective of trying to invest in that way because I thought that it wouldn't perform well. But then as it's evolved and it became more of an ESG strategy, which was more inclusive looking at all of these different components that fell under those categories, it was evolving in a way that where the data I did for my dissertation was showing that the two were really on par in terms of performance because you were just looking at non-financial factors as well as the traditional performance. And then in 2020, when George Floyd happened, so many people became so enraged with what was going on, wanted yeah. more justice, wanted to see social integration and so like more um, like social liberties happening within the investing space. And ESG provided that. So, so many people became exposed to ESG and sustainable investing because they were looking for ways to really make an impact. And one of the ways to do that is to put your capital in something that is working towards a uniform goal. And so we saw a huge influx of capital in 2020 to the sustainable investing space. And I think that's when a lot of the younger generation, a lot of millennials came in saying, like, there was more women financial advisors that were coming out and saying, hey, I only do ESG and sustainable investing. And it became like a safer space for maybe other women who had curiosities or... There was just, I think, opened a door to what you're saying. When people wanted to learn more, they heard about what was happening in the world. All of a sudden, there's a way that Wall Street wasn't some criminal dark back room. (laughs) Like
0: it was working towards
1: something that was, (laughs) you know, maybe had a little bit more of a a positive end goal and a huge amount of capital funneled that way when people realized that it was an option.
0: I I think the word that's coming to my mind is representation, right? Yeah, totally. That's great there's like that projection when we say wall street everyone comes up with some image in their head of what it's like and i i this is my own bias even having been in the industry being a white male is like it's still dark and it's a little maniacal yeah like i'm just gonna own it like <laughs> it, that's like my association with uh wall street large investment shops is so the esg space It brings a softer side. It may show greater representation of uh, people of diverse backgrounds, diverse ideas, where you can feel a sense of belonging in what you're investing in instead of just kind of, I mean, anonymously turning your money over to this group that's doing who knows what with it.
1: Yeah, just going for financial gain. And that's a dangerous... If you only have one goal in mind and you don't care about the ramifications, even if it was only if you don't look at bigger perspectives of any goal, I'm not trying to just like trash the Wall Street firms.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. And they have their place.
1: Yeah, it's an important thing to have is perspective. And yeah, ESG has definitely provided that for many. And it's not, and I will just step back for a moment. Investing in alignment with your values, looking at climate action or gender equality or life below water, all of those strategies still incorporate Risk mitigation, financial performance goals. So it's just an an additional layer to that to look at these non non financial parameters that help move money in a positive way. So I just want to throw that in there that it's not like we're just investing in something that has no
0: like, right, no chance of maturity. making any money. It's actually a guaranteed loss. Like it, it's okay. It, feel, it makes us feel good though that we're yeah, losing we're money.
1: money. <laughs> yeah, we all like our. We like our money.
0: We like like our money. money. We (laughs) like making more money. Like, this is not an anti-money deal here. This is, I mean, let's just be clear. Right. So, and I wonder about an ecological economics. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's like a zillion big ideas, but if you could pull out one or two that you think would be relevant in this conversation based on what we've talked about, like, I assume most people are not gonna go get a graduate degree in economic, ecological economics. So knowing that, what would you want someone to know about that field and study, what it can inform them about their life and investing?
1: Oh my goodness. Okay, so I need to zoom out for a moment. So I went in to my ecological economics degree knowing that I wanted to come and play with capital markets when I was done. I was like, I wanna have an impact in this very specific sector. But the actual study of ecological economics has, it has a huge scale. The idea behind it, the really big picture is that we are on earth and earth Uh has limited resources. We need to have an economy that, that works. And in order to do that, we need to find how to have more circular economies. We need to keep the scale at bay. We need to have just distribution just to make sure that people are not being abused or incorporating slavery. We need to really look at the types of policies, the types of practices around agriculture, water reuse. There's so many different—I have friends in every different sector, and we get together from my graduate class, and all of us are working on a million different projects. So it's really a—I would say it's a big picture. So I'm not quite sure how to answer that, I would say—
0: Well, I think you are answering the question is, this is a really big picture. It's a big field of study. Mm -hmm. And it's asking the hard questions about policy as one piece of it across these different domains. And supply chain management. And so I'm just, like, I hear all these words and I think about, like, the whole industry of supply chain management is its own specialty.
1: (laughs) I have a friend who does that.
0: (laughs) Right? Um, But there's an ecological ecological component and an economic component. It's a both and interdisciplinary, I guess, is really what we're we're talking about.
1: And I would say that's kind of the uniform thread between all of us is that no matter what work we're doing, we're doing it to inform policy. So we, from my perspective in the financial space, trying to create a policy or regulation that makes sense for these companies to report on in terms of their emissions. So when we provide data, we have uniform, we have uniform data to present, and it makes yeah. more sense and it makes it easier for individuals to understand. So like that's a policy initiative that I work on. Where other friends are working on supply chain issues, and that's policy that they'll be advocating on behalf of. So it's probably the underlying tech that we all have in common.
0: It, it's a strategy to affect change, right? As, as we understand this, this whatever that this is, then it's developing some policy to shape it. And and what I want to preface all this to say is like, I think about all the couples that I want to reach and help and foster financial intimacy and they're thinking about their day-to-day life and you know, how do we buy goods and services and how do we invest our money and God, how do we just keep our marriage together and raise our kids? (laughs) Right. But they're consumers as well. And they're, they're in the labor market. And so, right. We're, complex systems all interacting here. And it's, I hope it's inspiring for anybody that's listening to say like, there's a big world out there trying to do good. And maybe that's really the thing that I want to leave people with is like, if you feel hopeless about the financial world, like this is the beacon of light as far as I can tell. Like there's a large network of people that are really working to make an economy that's fair and just and balanced and works for as many people as possible.
1: For all of the humans.
0: For all of the humans. For and all as, of the humans. And I guess really for the humans that don't have the representation or the access, right? That are never going to be corporate bankers or never going to have a graduate degree. They're, so, yeah. Wow, there's just so much there. Um,
1: there really is. And I would say from the consumerism standpoint, just being as conscious, little, little changes make a difference, having... Reusable water bottles versus plastics, just being conscious when you buy something, reading the packaging, any little things are just one step forward to a little bit higher consciousness in terms of the consumerism piece of it, which again, creates an incentive for corporations to provide products that people want. And if people are buying more organics or looking at those types of things, then it incentivizes the larger corporations.
0: I guess that's maybe kind of, you know, I think that's the mental loop that sometimes I can even get into is like... I don't want to be a bad consumer. I feel guilty about buying things, but there's a part of me that likes to buy things and wants totally. <laughs> things. But then it's like, but then am I effing up the environment? And then am I, you know, screwing over, you know, some poor person living in some developing country? And so it can kind of be like, well, then I, my brain will shift to like the anti-consumer, like, I'm just going to live minimalist, which let's be honest, I really don't. Like I psychologically go there, but not practically. <laughs> Um, let's just be very honest about that and but I think that that's that journey right psychologically is what's our relationship with stuff and how do we like spend as much of our mental time as we can feeling good about our level of consumption and that it it really is okay to consume and and we have a responsibility to grow our awareness about our consumption patterns and how they impact and what kind of goods and services can we be consuming from that may help, um, maybe more sustainable than others.
1: Totally, I think it just, like, and I it feels, it's a very big space and it feels very overwhelming to all of a sudden say, I am going to live completely sustainably from now on, I'm gonna do zero waste, like, those are those are really big goals, so I would say just, Start with something small, like whether it's just like reading packaging to get a better idea of what type of um, stamps and brands are out there of, you know, making sure something's like a safe fishery or whatever it would be. Just like learning a little bit more by reading it. You don't have to get online and spend hours. None of us have, most of us don't have time if it's not your primary focus of business. (laughs) Right. But, you know, just trust that there's a lot of us doing the work to make sure that you don't have to spend as much effort as a consumer because there won't be as many Poor products on the shelf is, is the
0: goal. (laughs) It's a big one. It's a big (laughs) one. Brittany, thank you so much for your generosity of time and spirit and the work that you're doing uh, to really have positive impact investing. As we bring this conversation to a close, what's one parting piece of guidance, advice, encouragement that you would offer folks?
1: I would say take at least two to five minutes a day and just sit in silence and do some breathing. That's really, you don't even have to know how to meditate, but if you can just take a moment for yourself every single day and just breathe and be alone, it does wonders for the mind.
0: I totally did not see that coming, and I love it. <laughs> I, I love it, love it, love it. So two to five minutes, simply just find a quiet space, breathe, and don't worry, like right, my brain's already going to like, well, but, you know, I'm going to have all these thoughts and I'm not supposed to, you know, the whole story. And it's like, don't worry about that. Just breathe is what you're saying. Just focus on your breathing.
1: I remember when I was in like the beginning of my practice and they, you have that same like, oh, I'm, I have, my head's too busy. I'm not doing it right. I'm not meditating right. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not doing this breathing thing right. <laughs> oh. And,
1: like your brain's job is to think. It's very hard to get it to to not. That's not necessarily the goal. But one right. thing that helps if you have a very busy mind and you're having a hard time connecting to the breath is to breathe or to count. So if you do five counts for your inhale in and then six counts for your exhale, it gives your mind something to do but also brings you back uh, to your current moment.
0: I love that. Five count in, six count out. Now my brain wants to ask all kinds of questions about that. I'm going to save that for another conversation. <laughs> we'll have another
1: podcast about yoga. It'll be great.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Right, that was a whole line of questions I wanted to ask about. Like, well, how does yoga and yoga philosophy play into this? Because, well, anyhow,
1: I'm happy to. Re- we can readdress later if there's follow up yes. questions. But thank yes. you so much, Ed. I really appreciate you having me on. So thank you for the invite.
0: No problem. And if people wanted to connect with you or your company about your services, this is one thing we want to make sure to mention is, um, how do listeners get connected with your company?
1: So our company primarily works with wealth managers, but we are all working toward these bigger goals and are happy to share any information that we can with individuals who are keen to learn more. So if you email support at ethosesg.com, I'm on that thread, I'll be sure to respond and would love to share any resources or information and help however we can.
0: That's incredible. So uh, I would encourage you guys to, to send that email, especially if you're interested in this is prompted, like, man, I wonder if my advisor is talking about this, thinking about this, that they haven't brought it forward. Reach out to, to Ethos and get some support from them on how to talk with your advisor about this stuff. Totally. Awesome, thanks so much, Brittany, appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Ed.
0: I invite you now to stop for 5 or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed.